Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into Scripture and see what God has for us today. Pastor Marty, one of our pastors, Marty Godfrey, has been in the hospital this week. Uh, He had triple bypass surgery this week, uh, but is recovering well from all the hard stuff this week. Now he's at the point uh, to where they're making sure everything else is good and all other things are happening and right. And him and his family just want to say to all of you guys, thank you so much uh, for the prayers, for all of the encouragement that you've been given and keep them up. He's got a long road ahead to heal from that. And then also, men, let me speak to you just for a minute. Don't be stubborn. Amen? If something is going on, go get checked out. Uh, Go get checked out. Speaking of men, tomorrow night, tomorrow night is our men's night. It's our wings and things men's night tomorrow. And along with praying for the Godfrey family, I'm just going to ask you over these next 36 or so hours, Hours to be lifting up tomorrow night. We have about, we have a little over a thousand men that'll be here tomorrow night. And from what I hear, a couple of you ladies snuck in and bought a couple tickets, which is awesome. I don't know how that worked, but um, you bought a couple. We have about over a thousand men coming tomorrow night that are going to be hearing the gospel. You've been inviting friends and do me a favor and pray for God to do an amazing work in men's hearts tomorrow night. It's going to be a great night together. Let's jump into the message. Last week, if you were here, uh, you heard me mention that for the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through or process through what I'm just calling three tough emotions. Three tough emotions that either A, you have dealt with in your life, or B, I can promise you that somebody in your circle is either dealing with it right now or have dealt with it in the past. And what I said is we're going to attack them from the spiritual side, the spiritual lens. We're going to see what God says about them. We're going to see how we can have victory even in the middle of these difficult emotions. Last week we jumped into the deep end of the pool um, and we looked at this idea of depression last week. We conquered depression from the spiritual side last week and we saw it through the lens of the prophet. Jeremiah, through this prophet Jeremiah. And we defined depression last week as just looking at the now and looking into the future and what you're feeling, all right, what you're feeling in that moment is despair, suffocating darkness, and really no way back to joy. We, we defined that as our working definition last week. Well, listen, every service last week, someone around came up to me after the service and said, and I quote, Matt, depression feels like the walls are caving in on you. And they feel like they're narrowing, to which I want to say, man, that is exactly what we spoke to last week. We looked at this idea from Jeremiah last week that in the pit of depression, we can look for the goodness of God. We can rest in the promises of God. It was amazing out of Jeremiah last week, after we found it, amen, we, it was amazing how we got to see that God, even in the middle of our despair, wants us to see and experience 
experience and walk and to find his goodness. Well, last week we made the distinction that that all three weeks, that there was one theme that's going to carry through all three of these weeks. In fact, I want to give you that principle again this morning, just so you can have it at the top of your sheet. And here's the principle that I said is going to happen every single week. And here it is. We said that we should never feel our way into our beliefs. We should never feel our way into our beliefs, but we have to believe our way into our feelings. We said that last week to point out the fact that our beliefs should always be the engine of our lives and our feelings should always be the caboose, all right? That's the mental image that I want you to have because here's what happens if you get those mixed up. If you put your feelings ahead of your beliefs, your feelings will lie to you. They will take you down paths that you never thought you would be on and then they will solidify lies in your minds that are not truths from God. So we said last week that we should never feel our way into everything. Now that's not to say that you shouldn't have emotions. That's not to say you shouldn't have joy in those things in your life. It's to say that all of our beliefs should shape our feelings first. And our feelings don't have a mind of their own. We are in control to tell them what to believe. Now this morning, that topic is going to be incredibly relevant as we walk through this idea this morning of the struggle of anxiety. The struggle of anxiety. Now, unlike depression, where some of you are like, man, I don't feel like I've ever been there in depression, I can almost 100% guarantee you that every single one of us at some point in our lives have felt anxious have felt anxious, have had an anxiety moment. Now, as we said last week, there is a continuum here from anxious to totally falling apart panic attack, but we've all been somewhere on the anxious scale. In fact, I don't even have to define what being anxious is because you know what it is. Well, this week I needed a little bit of a sermon help this week, so I went to the knowledge base of all knowledge, social media, uh, this week, and I asked the question this week. I said, what makes you anxious? What makes you anxious? And I got a ton of responses. In fact, let me read you a couple of them. Some of them are incredibly interesting and funny. Um, some of them are serious. The, the, the interesting ones, or funny ones, was, uh, Matt, what makes me, intru- makes me anxious is people asking me what's me, what makes me anxious. That makes me anxious. Um, the, the second one I, I want to point out is what makes you anxious. They said, Matt, you do. You preach so long on Sunday mornings that I just get anxious when your countdown clock goes to zero. Um, here it is. That, which, by the way, that, that thing means nothing. Uh, uh, another one, it said, uh, what makes you anxious? Uh, somebody said, which UGA player will get arrested this week? That uh, made them anxious. Uh, obviously, that's probably a Clemson fan. Um, so, some of the more serious ones of the week was this. Um, what makes me anxious is change, uh, money, crowds, raising kids, amen, to that one, um, traffic, Chaos, the unknown, bills. Uh, Another one was uh, being vulnerable makes me anxious. Uh, Another one I thought was pretty good was middle of the night phone calls. Uh, Man, that's a big one that's out there. Things that are outside my control, my future health, my future situation. And and then then someone said what makes me anxious is is my singleness. 
And I thought, you know what, that, that's a big one. And this wasn't like an eighth grader. This was like a grown person. Um, they, they said, my, my, my singleness. And in God's providence, the next one after that said, what makes you anxious? They said, my spouse uh, makes me anxious. I was like, only God could do that on a question of what makes you anxious. You know, the, the reality is, I mean, I think this struck such a chord. And I got lots of direct messages from people that just didn't want to kind of put their laundry on uh, display. The, the reality is I thought I would get like five or six responses, but I think it struck a chord because anxiety is a massive struggle in many of our lives. In fact, I think on even one side that we're stamping the word anxiety into some things that I'm not even sure that it probably goes into, but that's a whole nother morning. But anxiety, the reality is it, it's a catalyst for so many other problems, one author this week said it like this. I just want to read it to you. I didn't put it in your notes. He said, think about how many other sins are connected to the root sin of anxiety. Think about how money will cause you to hoard or to steal. Anxiety about succeeding will make you irritable and impatient with those around you. Anxiety about relationships will make you withdrawn or indifferent towards other people. Anxiety about what others think about you will make you lie or stretch the truth. And here's how he finished it up. He said this. He said, if anxiety could be conquered, a mortal blow would be struck to so many other sins. And, and church, I think we can, we can feel that in our lives. So here's what we're going to do today. Today, we're not going to look at what the world says about anxiety. We're not going to look at the clinical side of anxiety. Today, we're going to look at what Jesus says about anxiety and worry. And we're going to look at this from an incredible teaching of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 today. It'll be a whole lot easier than finding Lamentations. I promise you. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 24 in just a second. But here's the goal of today. Eventually today, my goal is for us to come to a conclusion. In fact, I want you to write this down, that, that anxiety moments, here's the principle, are an opportunity to trust and to lean into God's amazing promises and God's character. Now let me say that again. This is going to shape everything we're going to look at. Anxiety, anxiety moments are an opportunity to trust and lean into God's amazing promises on this side, what he has promised us, and his character over here, which is who God is. Now, one quick thing before we jump into the text. There's like a hundred intros. I get it. But we got to do this. As we said last week, let me point out again. There can be a lot going on when you face anxiety. There can be a whole lot there. As I mentioned, God has created us with a body. He's created us with a soul. And those things are so intricately woven together that one can't function without the other. And if one is struggling, the other is struggling. So what happens is they both affect each other. And for some of you, you have some major factors inside of your anxiety that have to do with physical nature, psychological nature, traumatic events, relationships things that have happened inside of you. And I don't want you to think today that I'm just trying my best to lump all this into a spiritual deal. That's not what I'm doing. 
That's not what I'm doing, because I do realize there is some things in that. But what we are going to do is attack anxiety from the spiritual side. And here's what I want to promise you. I promise you, if you will start by spiritually looking at how Jesus says to deal with your anxiety, that a lot of you can be set free from your anxiety. But I also realize there are some of you with some deep-seated things that have happened in those cases that I want to tell you this. Once you deal with it spiritually, and it's still there. I'm just going to ask you this. Man, you need to reach out for help. You need to reach out for help. You need to seek wise counsel. And we would like nothing more than to point you in a direction with somebody that can help you walk through that. All right? So I just wanted to say that on the front end. All right, let's jump into the text on anxiety. And here's what I'm going to do. I want to read the whole text. All right, don't, don't do that every week. But I want you to see it in one complete thought. And then we're going to come back around it and pick it apart. All right, Matthew 6, verse 24. Hold on, because I'm going to read it, and I'm not slowing down. Here it is. It says, no one can serve two masters. This is Jesus talking. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I know, it kind of seems like a weird place to start a whole conversation about worry, anxiety, but hold on. All right, you're going to see why in just a minute. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat and drink, or about your body, or what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Verse 27. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. Do they not, do they not labor and spend? I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor is dressed like one of these. Verse 30. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field and is here today, that is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear? For the pagans, all right, that's the people who have zero relationship with God, is what he's saying. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles on its own. Now, look, I love this passage. In fact, it's probably one of my favorite ones. That's why it kind of leaks into about every third message, one verse out of this passage. But I see this passage, not through the lens of that I've got it all figured out, but I see it through the lens of there's so much freedom offered inside of this passage that I just want us to have. But one thing that Christ does, or Jesus does in this passage, is that Jesus defines for us what anxiety is and he shines a light on the cultural misconceptions of what anxiety really is. So here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to show you how Jesus defines anxiety and what he says about it. And because of that, I'm praying that you can see that there's some freedom offered in this passage. He gives us three descriptions of anxiety here. Pretty simple outline this morning. Number one, he says this. Anxiety pushes us to think 
too little of God. That's what anxiety does. Or, or you could even say anxiety kind of just thinks too little of God or has a limited view of God. And, and here's what I mean by anxiety pushes us to think too little of God. The most profound and the biggest kind of counterintuitive point inside this whole message is that most of us define anxiety as an emotion that comes out of the uncertainty of life. That's kind of how most of us would define anxiety. But what Jesus has just said and what we have read is that anxiety is an emotion that is intimately connected to our deepest desires. That's what he said. So don't think of anxiety as just this random kind of out there little deal. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Anxiety is intimately connected to what you care about the most. In other words, write this principle down. We worry most or we're most anxious about what we are most devoted to. That's the point he's making in the passage. If you want to see what you're most devoted to, just see what you worry about the most. That's what Jesus is telling us. Well, Matt, that's not true. Oh, that is totally true. You see, we worry most about what we're most devoted to, which is why Jesus starts this whole conversation off with, what are you devoted to? Look at verse 25. Watch verse 25. Jesus says this. He says, therefore, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, or, about, or what you will wear. Now, as Bible students, you know this. Anytime you see the word therefore, you got to see what it is. That's great. Three of you. Therefore, right. There it is. Maybe we need to teach the Bible. All right. There it is, right? Anytime you see the word therefore, you got to see what it's there for. So what is this therefore, therefore? You're right. Verse 24. I'm going to answer that one for you. Now go back and look at verse 24. Watch what Jesus says. He proves his point. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus knows that we're most anxious about what we're most devoted to. That's what he's just said. You can't serve them both. And that's obviously the thing that's on our mind. And then Jesus knows that we're a little bit slow and we need an example, right, to prove this point. So Jesus uses money as the example to show us what anxiety looks like. Well, Matt, why did he use money? Well, it's pretty obvious why he uses money, because that's what we're most anxious about a lot of the time, a lot of people. You see, if you think money is the one all-important thing to the good life, then what you're going to do, Jesus says, is you're going to worry about money. You're going to worry about getting money. You're going to worry about keeping money. You're going to worry about money. You're going to worry about kind of hiding money and not losing money. And so what Jesus does is he asks the question right here, this devotion question to money. In verse 25, Jesus says this, is life not more than food and the body not more than clothes? He's proven his point right here. You can just hear Jesus saying, hey, listen, is, is, is money really what defines the good life? Because that's what these two things represent. And then to go one step forward, he uses the illustration, two of them. He starts with the birds. He starts with the birds. I love this illustration because Jesus looks at us and he's like, hey, listen, 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 listen. Think about the birds that are out there. Look at verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow or reap? They don't store in barns, yet your heavenly Father, he feeds them. 
He feeds them. So, so what's Jesus saying? Jesus is not saying that birds could just care less and they just live a whatever life. But he's saying that, hey, listen, birds don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about saving too much because they know that it is God that's going to provide for them. And they're never going to lack. That's the point he's making. And then he says, hey, think about the wildflowers. Look at verse 28. He says, they don't labor or spend. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. What's the point here? He's saying the flowers don't spend much time being anxious or, about, or, or, or spend much time trying to look pretty, right? They don't spend much time for that. Why? Because, because it's God that makes them that. Do you see the point in these two examples? God is looking at us, and, and he's not making the point. Now, look, don't take this the wrong way. God is not saying don't save. He's not saying don't have a 401K. He's not saying just live a flippant life. That's not what he's saying. He's not even saying that you shouldn't go out and buy yourself something nice. That's not what he's saying in here. The point is, is that we should not be devoted to these two things, whether it's money or beauty, in a way that they're our source of security, that they're our source of beauty. Do you, do you see what Jesus did in one sloth here? He just knocked everybody out in your whole house. Why? Because there's always somebody worried about money and there's always somebody worried about beauty. In every single house out there, Jesus is a masterful teacher. And he looks at us and goes, hey, you're anxious because you're worried about the wrong things. You're anxious because you're trying to store up things that, that, that you haven't been called to store up. You're anxious about things that it's my job to do to provide for you. What Jesus is teaching here in the academic world is called God's law of first things. God's law of first things. And here's how it goes, as simply as I can put it. What Jesus is saying is, is that simply, if you and I, if we will focus on God as the first, here's what he's saying, as the primary, listen closely, in whatever it is, whether it's money or devotion, time, kids, whatever it is, then God's role and his promise to us, if we put him as first, then his role is to supply us with the seconds. That's his role. His role is to come behind us in all the other things that we need, whether it's money or beauty. That's what he's told us, right? But here's what he has said. The problem that we have, here's the law of the first. The problem is, is that many of us focus on the seconds, the second things in our lives. And here's the result of that. I don't think we fully grasp it. Let me give it to you. The result is, is that not only are we chasing a fool's errand of chasing after the seconds. You see, if you're, fo if you're focused on security, beauty, spending, saving, whatever it is, what happens is, is that God looks at us and says, well, okay, well, now you're not even promised the seconds. You're not even promised that I'm going to do this for you. And here's the second part that we miss. And he says, you've removed yourself from my, my promise. So you see that? When we focus on the first, we get God and his power, and he promises to give us the rest. But when we focus on the seconds, we're not promised the seconds, and we separate ourselves from the first. But yet Satan knows this tactic. Satan knows that this is where we struggle with. So listen, God takes care of the flowers and the birds, and all he asks out of us is just to make him the first. Now, this has to do with so much more than money. 
Money's just the example that Jesus used here because he knows it's a struggle. It has to do with so much more than beauty. Okay, so if those aren't your two things, you've got a thing, all right? You're thinking about your thing, whether it's parenting or career or something else. But what God is telling us is you've got anxiety and you've got stress because you've looked at God and you're thinking so much less of God. You've taken him off the throne and you've put yourself on the throne and what you're thinking of is the seconds. And because you've done that, you're not gonna get the seconds and you've lost the first. I know that's confusing, but you know exactly what I'm saying because it's a fool's errand to chase the seconds. So anxiety, what does it do? It pushes us to think too little of God because we think we're in control. But secondly, anxiety, here's what Jesus says, it tries to hide how much God thinks of us. Now I want you to see these two together. So leave this on the screen for a second. The first one, we are taking God off the throne and we're putting ourselves on the throne, saying, I've got this, I can do this, I am in control. The second one hides who God says he is to us. In other words, it's Satan whispering in our ear, hey, God doesn't really do that, God doesn't really care, God's not really out there, he doesn't really care where you're walking through. But look at what Jesus says, it's masterful, look Jesus tells us how great of care that God takes of the birds, right? We just saw that. But look at verse 26. You might need to underline this. Watch what Jesus says after he talks about the birds. He says, are you not much more valuable than they are? Are you, as a person with a soul created in God's image, not much more valuable than, than the birds? He goes even farther after he talks about these beautiful flowers that God creates. Watch what he says in verse 30. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Listen, what Jesus is doing right here is he's, he's taking the God of creation and he's showing us that the God of creation in creation cared about the birds and the begonias for goodness sakes, right? How much more does he care for you? How much more does he want to walk with you? Don't you think that God cares more about you than a bird or a begonia? Anybody that tells you otherwise, they don't know scripture. He's saying, no, 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 Jesus is pointing out the character of our heavenly father that from creation on is 100% a God of blessing, a God that gives us good things, that God does care for the birds and he does care for the flowers, but he much more cares for you. I love Luke when Luke was teaching this same message in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Here's what Luke adds to this. He says, do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So let me ask you the question. How pleased was God to give you the kingdom? Here's the answer. Jesus was pleased enough to, or God was pleased enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for you. That's how pleased he was to give you the kingdom. So listen, if, let me bring it full circle. If God loved you enough to give Jesus for you, do you really think that God is in the business of neglecting your everyday needs? Do you really think that? If we can trust him with eternity, then why can't we trust him with today? Paul says in Romans 8, he says, he did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also, catch this, along with him, graciously give us all things? You know the question that just struck me down this week studying this was this. What more can God do to prove his love for me? What more? 
What more can I look at God and go, God, if you will just do this, I'll love you. God's looking at me going, listen, I gave my son for you. I put my son on the cross for you, the humiliation of the cross for you. What more do I need to do? Church, listen, we can trust God. We can trust him with our bills and our marriage. We can trust him with our family. We can trust him with our kids' education, with our job. We can trust him with our money and our future. Let me say this. I want to say this as sensitively as possible, but as frank as possible. Here it is. Anxiety for the Christian is completely irrational. It's completely irrational. Now, I know that's lost like 10% of you, right? But let me back it up. Anxiety for the Christian is completely irrational because of this. Here it is. If we believe God can take care of heaven, why do we not believe he can handle me on earth? Do you see what I'm saying in that? If we believe that God is good for eternity, then why can't I believe that he's good for now? Let me go one step further and say this. If God can deliver me from damnation, then why do I not believe that he can deliver me from the day? You see what I mean? That makes anxiety when we're looking at it in a spiritual sense completely irrational because I'm looking at my moment going, God, I don't trust you in this moment. God, I'm not giving this to you in this moment. God, I don't think you're working in this moment. But God, I know the moment I die, I'm going to wake up in heaven around all of you. And God's going, really? I can't handle your power bill? But your soul? I can? It's irrational. Listen, church, we've got to believe either we, we, we gotta, we gotta choose to either believe the Bible or not when it comes to who God is. That's why Jesus, he goes even one step forward in verse 32, Matthew 6, 42, and he says, for the pagans run after these things. He's like, listen, when we don't choose to trust God and we choose to trust our anxiety more, we're acting like a pagan who has no God to trust in. But listen, church, we have a good father. We have a good father who cares more about me than I can imagine. So let's just act like it. Let's just act like it. And let's just give him the praise. It is truly hard to believe the gospel and be anxious. That's what he's saying because we know where our eternity is. In fact, Paul speaks to this even stronger because that's really what he does in a lot of things, right? Listen to how Paul says this in Philippians 4. He says this, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, this is not a, hey, if you get around to it. This is a command in Scripture. The command is be anxious for nothing. For nothing. But Matt, what about? Nope. But Matt, you don't understand? Nope. But Matt, I got this. Nope. Nothing. That's what Paul says. We saw this four times in our text today where Jesus is saying don't worry about it. And now Paul has given us this command to be anxious for nothing. It's all over the New Testament. In fact, did you know the command to fear not is the most used command in the whole Bible? Do you know that? Do you know how many times it's in the Bible? It's used 366 times in the Bible. It tells me and you to fear not. You know what that means? That means there is one fear not for every single day of every single year of your life, including leap year, right? 366 of them. They're there. So Paul says, quit. Place your anxious thoughts in front of the feet of Jesus. And his role is to take care of them. In fact, he gives us a little prayer trick here. I just want to point out, and then I want to move on. 
and, and I saw this on Monday, and it has been really good for the week. Remember when he said, hey, listen, Paul says, instead of being anxious, in every situation, he said, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, you've heard that before, but let me kind of turn this around, and I want to show you a key word that doesn't get a lot of press when preaching about this, and it's the word thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. You know what this means? It means this. Do you know one of the most anxious hours of your whole life every day is your prayer life, right? It's your prayer life. Why? Because at that moment, you're dredging up everything that you have got for God. So you're getting more anxious and more anxious and more anxious because you're working through your list of stuff that you put on a list so you didn't have to remember it for the rest of the day. But what Paul is telling us here is that when we would bring our request before our Heavenly Father, let us bear our souls in front of God. That's step one. But number two, before we get done praying, let's pray in advance, thank God for handling what I've just given him. Now that's bold, isn't it? Hey God, I got this thing, I'm bringing it to your request today, and man, this is a really big deal, and I'm really kind of anxious about this thing, and God, I am putting it in front of you today. And God, hey listen, before I close, I just want to thank you in advance that you are the God of the universe, the creator of the world, that you have promised me that you will take this from me, and God, now this thing is in your hands and not in my hands anymore, and the results that come are up to you. That's what Paul is saying. Now I don't know if that looks like your prayer life. It didn't look like my prayer life for a long time. But this week, it has been really cool to say, God, I don't, I'm just giving this to you, and the results are you. And whatever happens, happens. That's how, what did Paul finish up with saying? The peace that passes all understanding, that's how it can, it can rule your heart. So what does anxiety do? Anxiety, it pushes us to think too little of God. Anxiety, secondly, it hides how much God thinks of us. Why? Because we begin to place our stuff in the middle of it. And I want you to see the third one. This one brings both of these together. Here's the third one. Number three, Jesus says, anxiety at its core, it is a masterful liar. It's a masterful liar. Or if you want to write out in the margins, you could just even say that anxiety is just a false prophet. It's a false prophet. Why? Because you see anxiety, what it does in our lives is it offers false solutions to our problems, right? It makes false promises that it has no power to back up. It's just making it, why? Because our feelings are running us. And it offers false predictions in our lives of something that's going to happen. What, what do we do? You see, when we worry or when we're anxious about something, stay with me, it makes us feel a little bit better about that thing because we feel like we're doing something about it, right? We feel like we're doing something about it. And here's what happened. It's a false prophet and it tells us, hey, listen, if you will just put some time to it, if you'll devote some time to it, over time, you will be able to do something. But Jesus says this, there's two problems with that. Number one, write this first principle down. Anxiety or worrying does not change anything. It doesn't change anything. In its purest sense. And you say, well, Matt, where did you get that? Look at verse 27, Jesus said it. He says, can any one of you worry, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? <laughs> In other words, worrying's not even gonna do anything. In fact, it does the opposite because will worrying add to your life? No, but what does science tell us about worrying and stress and anxiety? It actually subtracts from our lives. Did, did you know that 75% of non-emergency room visits to doctors right now are over stress and anxiety? Have you ever noticed that the people that live to be like 127 years old are the people that are just the most lackadaisical people on the planet, right? That don't have a care in the world. 
This is why. Because anxiety does the second thing. Anxiety is a false prophet that said, I will handle this. But it doesn't. It's a liar. But number two, check out the second reason anxiety is a liar. Jesus says the reason is because most of what we worry about, it never happens. It never happens. Now, I'm about to get in your business just a little bit. I just want to tell you that on the front end of this. Because here's what we do. All right, and I know this is what you do. Matt, never make a generality. No, this is a you. All right, this is all of us. We worry about a thousand things that never happens. Amen? Amen? Are you with me on that? We just do. And here's what we do. We build these scenarios in our minds, and it feels so real. It feels so real that this is what's going to happen, and that's going to happen, and here's where this is going to go, and it's all going to go, and it's all going to be. And listen, Satan loves it. Do you know why? Because as we're building these scenarios in our mind, what we're doing is we're taking our eyes off the author and perfecter of our faith and Satan is creating a new scenario for our life that has no reality moments in it. None. Why? Because it's a liar. Anxiety is a liar. I mean, think about it. How many things through the years have you thought about and worried about and were anxious about that never happened? That never happened. Well, Matt, there was that one. Yeah, but there's a million others that didn't. That's the point. Look at how Jesus charges us to worry about worry and anxiety. Look at verse 34. He says this, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow, it'll worry about itself. And then watch what he says. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Well, Matt, that's exactly what I'm worried about, right? I'm worried about the trouble that's coming tomorrow. That's why I'm anxious. <laughs> Kind of wish Jesus would have just left that last sentence off, right? But I get it. But listen, while there will be trouble tomorrow, what is Jesus saying right here? Who else is going to be there? Who else is going to be in tomorrow? Or let me ask that a little bit better. Who else is already in tomorrow? You know who's not in tomorrow? Satan is not in tomorrow. He's not there yet. He is not like God. He is not on the other side of time. But listen, church, we serve a God that is not a liar. We serve a God that is in yesterday. He is in today and he is in tomorrow. And here's what God has promises us in this passage. God is saying, listen, I'm not worried about the 999 things that you're worried about that are not going to happen. What I'm doing is I'm worried about the one thing that is going to happen and I'm already in it tomorrow to give you what you need to walk through it. And either you can choose to do this on your own or you can choose to trust the creator of the universe who clothes the flowers, who gives the birds what they need and is your savior. That's the point. That's the point of the whole message. I, I love my, my favorite example of this. The other services didn't get this, so don't tell them. My, 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 this one's 12. We can go forever in here. Uh, my, my favorite example of this is the, is the manna in the wilderness, right? You know that literally the word manna in Hebrew means what is it? <laughs> I love it. I didn't even know what that, what is it? I don't know what to call it, what is it? Um, God said, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I know you need to eat. I'm going to provide for you every single day, right? That's what he did. He gave them manna in the wilderness. There was nothing to eat. So he commanded them to go out and get what you need just for the day. Just for today. Go get what you need. If you try to get enough for tomorrow, I'm going to make it rot. I'm going to put worms in it, and it's going to stink your whole house up. Except for the day before the Sabbath day. Then you can go get two things. What was God doing in that? God was teaching them a lesson about not worrying about tomorrow, that I am the provider, that I am God and I will provide. And trust me, God is saying, if you will do your part, I will give you what you need for the day. 
You see, but here's our problems. Our problem is we want to stockpile our whole lives up to where we try our best to remove every risk out of it at our power to where God is saying, listen, you can never fully prepare for everything. That's a fool's errand. And number two, you need to understand that's unnecessary because I am the God that provides the what is it for your day. Church, that's why we're so anxious all the time. Because we feel like we're the ones in control. We feel like we're in control. God says, I'm here. God says, I'm there. God says, listen, tomorrow you are going to have problems. In fact, right now, I want you to look at your neighbor right now. Look at him right now, and I just want you to say this. Tomorrow, something bad's going to happen. <laughs> it's true. I know it's like, man, what a way to finish the message, Matt. <laughs> it's so true. The conversation is not, is something bad going to happen? We're promised. He didn't like it at all. Hey, I promise you. It's going to happen. Uh, she's never coming back. She's, uh, we're off script now. Um, it's going to happen. Tomorrow, something bad's going to happen. But the question is this. Who's there? Who's there? If it's me that's in charge, we're all in trouble. But if it's him that's in charge, he's going to clothe us and he's going to feed us. He's going to sustain us, and he's going to make us have joy. Why? Because he lives. The crux of the matter is it's because he lives, right? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. What's the conclusion of this whole matter right here? The conclusion is, let's not trust the false prophet of anxiety with our lives. Let's trust the prophet that only speaks truth, and his name is Jesus. And that Jesus took the things to the cross that should cause us anxiety, and he died for him, and now has given us the way, the truth, and the life, that no one is coming to the Father except for him, and he has offered us his life. Church, I said at the very beginning, what I hope you're seeing is anxiety ultimately goes back to a breakdown in our understanding of who God is and what God wants to do in our lives. Does that mean you're never gonna have an anxious thought when you are fully invested in who God? No, but it means this, when they do pop in, you got some ammunition in my mind to go, no, 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 that ain't who my God is. My God is bigger than that. No, 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 that's not who my God is. My God thinks more of that. That's not who my God is. Anxiety, you are a liar, and my God is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's mine. So church this morning, as we jump into our invitation this morning, and I'm just going to ask you, what's the Lord of your life today? Is it your anxious thoughts? Or is it the one who put himself on the cross, who rose for your sins, and who offered you life? Because he lives. I can face tomorrow. Because he lives. Fear is gone. Because he lives. He lives. He lives. Not me. My, worth, my life is worth a living just because. He lives, Lord Jesus, today. So we walk into our time of invitation today, Lord Jesus. God, let's put you back on the rightful spot. Let's see you for how much you really do love us. And God, let us see that anxiety is a liar that does not speak truth. Because you live, God. You know, your head's bowed and your eyes closed. I just... I just want to say today, man, you might have walked into this place today incredibly defeated. But I hope you're seeing the encouragement of who Christ is for you today. 
If you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he'll add the rest of these things on to you. Maybe this morning, you just need somebody to pray with you. In the next couple of minutes, we got lots of people who would love to do that and speak his promises and his character of you. Maybe this morning you need to meet Jesus for the first time. You need to surrender your heart and life to him today. Listen, as soon as this prayer is over, I'm just going to ask you to be bold, step out from where you are, and walk right over to the next step banner to the front right of the room. Just look at one of us and go, man, I need Jesus today. Maybe today you need to sit in your seat and just look at it. It's because he lives that you can face tomorrow. Maybe you need to use this altar and just pray on your own today that God would replace your anxious thoughts with his character and his promises. Lord, move in these next couple of minutes, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you. So take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com slash next. Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burnt Hickory app.